You're listening to Teach, Think, Treat, a Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast. This podcast is for healthcare professionals and students about teaching and learning in a busy clinical setting. Whilst our setting is a tertiary paediatric hospital, our experiences and challenges are shared by many professionals and students in other clinical environments. Hello, my name is Steve Lacey and I'm the Allied Health Education Fellow in the RCH Education Hub. I also work as the tutor radiographer in the medical imaging department of the Royal Children's Hospital. This is the third of a four-part series on clinical education and clinical placement for students and is aimed at healthcare students, healthcare providers and universities. So in episode one of this series, we heard from three of our students about their clinical placement experiences and what they wish they knew before coming on clinical placement. And they all made a few really good points. But now it's time to hear from the other side of the fence, and that's from the clinical educators. So these are the ones that coordinate the clinical placements in the hospitals and are the go-to people for the students. Now, this episode's not just for students to hear, but also for any supervisor or any other clinical educator that hosts students in their facility. So today we have two clinical educators representing the areas of nursing and allied health. Our first guest is Danny Vandendungen. Danny is a clinical nurse educator and coordinates the nursing entry to practice program. Welcome, Danny. Thanks for having me, Steve. Problem. And also we have Nicole Alexander. Nicole is a physiotherapist at the Children's Hospital and she works predominantly with the orthopedic team. Um, she's also a member of the RCH Allied Health Student Education Committee. And today she's representing all of the Allied Health educators. Welcome, Nicole. Thanks for having me. Now, we're aware that we don't have a medical representative on our panel today, um, but a lot of the concepts that we're going to talk about as far as student placement is concerned is transferable to the medical student team. So it's still important for, for them to understand what's going on. Girls, we all know the value of the clinical placement. So let's imagine that each of you have a student that comes in on day one and they're as nervous as hell and you're about to bombard them with all of this information. Nicole, start with you. What are the key things that you tell them that should really, really stick on that first day? Yeah, one of the first things I actually tell the students that all the information I'm about to give them in the orientation is also written down so that they can always refer back to it and they don't need to remember it all or madly write it down because it's all there for them to go back to. Yep. The next thing that I tell both the students and the supervisors is that while our students are formally assessed on their placement, they're also here to learn and educators should be supporting students with how they learn best and how to develop their clinical skills. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, and is this the start of the clinical placement, the time when you bring up the teaching and learning aspects? Yeah, I think one of the key tips that I give students is to reflect before they come on placement how they best learn and how their supervisor might be able to facilitate and support the student. For example, does the student like to do revision prior to seeing the child or is it once they've seen the child? Um, does the student like to watch first or do they like to try first with the support of the um, supervisor? Um, some students actually might need some guidance to work out how they actually do learn best and they should be really open to trying different styles of learning while they've got that support of a supervisor. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because um, you kind of need to know how best the student can learn. And I've also noticed that students can be very overwhelmed at the beginning of their placement because there's just so much to learn. They try to just take everything in all at once. And so you've really got to kind of take that step back. What about you, Danny? Really similar to Nicole, I think knowing how you learn is an essential component of getting the best out of the clinical placement experience. Setting goals and objectives, even small ones, is really integral for any student, no matter what the discipline is. It is a really great way for students to be able to initiate and discuss what they want to get out of that placement 
their preceptor when they've got something written down, something that's tangible. How you know you learn also allows your preceptor to set some experiences for you based on that learning style. Very similar to what Nicole said, I learn best by watching, I learn best by getting in there, and we can try to integrate those components into the learning on the floor. I also am a big fan of saying, I don't know how to do something. (laughs) This is such a safe practice for any student, and it particularly allows nursing students to take ownership of their own learning, and even for things like changing a nappy. I'm, I don't know about you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of experience with kids no. before. Well, holding with them. a baby. Even. Yeah. It is scary. So I really encourage them to be open and honest from day one because it's about being here and getting the most out of the experience. Also, wear the uniform, be bare below the elbows. I don't care where you're going on placement. Infection control is number one at the moment, particularly. Absolutely. And introduce yourself. Hi, my name's Danny. I'm a nursing student. I'm working with Stephen today. It really allows both patients family and staff to get to know you and why you're there. Yeah. And it's okay to say no from a student's perspective. If the student's not comfortable, because at the end of the day, it's all about patient safety really, isn't it? Danny, I did notice in that point that you actually use the term preceptor. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, No, no, don't apologize because I think it's it's important that we all understand the terminology that we're actually um, going to be using in that. So can you just explain just quickly what a a preceptor actually is? Absolutely. So a preceptor sounds very similar to a supervisor in many other parts of the healthcare industry. So for me, the preceptor or the supervisor are the people working on the floor clinically with the students. They're the person that may be allocated the patient load or they're the current radiographer, the physio, the actual nurse that's working alongside them. So to me, they're the people on the ground level. Right. So we we would refer to them as supervisors, just Great. general supervisors, I guess. And then we have the other term, which is the educator. Um, which I kind of see as the person who kind of, who organizes the clinical placements for, for people as well. In uh, nursing as well, just to be aware, guys, educator may also be the person who project manages from the external component. So in nursing, um, part of our key stakeholders are the universities or education providers. I work with them specifically. I also plan the placement and orientate very similar to Nicole and yourself. So I kind of sit with two hats in a way in my nursing educator role, but it is a little bit different to other education. Um, It's a little bit different to any other educator that may work in the hospital. Um, The focus, a lot of it is about the support outside of the clinical area. Yeah. Whereas I like to use the term education provider for the people who are working at the university. This is really good. I think there's a lot of people probably listening today who might get confused by that terminology as well. Um, And I'll try my best to be as clear as possible. Yeah, no, that's good. (laughs) Um, Now, in our first episode, our medical student, Gabrielle, she pointed out that it would have been good to know some of the aspects of hospital life that weren't necessarily clinical ones. So she used the example of when a senior medical team member tried to offer to buy her coffee and she kept politely refusing every day until she realized that she was actually supposed to take the coffee. So do you think there's a way that these kinds of aspects, the things that everyone knows except for the students, how can we teach them? What can they learn? Yeah, I think personally, as someone who has worked in the hospital setting for many years, I think we sometimes do forget that not everyone has had experience with the hospital setting, be it personally or professionally. Um, Things like how the medical team is actually structured, the roles of the various clinicians and how the patients actually flow through the hospital setting from ED to the ward to home-based care or referring out. Um, I definitely think it's something that we can teach and provide this really important context to students. And I think always take the coffee. It's really good team building and um, good rapport building. Agreed. Yeah, always absolutely. take the coffee because it's always going to come back to you later. 
you might be the person who buys that coffee in the future. And it's also a way of welcoming someone into our organization, which is really important. And it, it just also breaks down that barrier a little it bit. Really, it, yeah. it, you know, it makes, makes it much more personable as well. It does. So on to the orientation, what is it that you both do? Because obviously students are very nervous about starting a new placement. How much spoon feeding do you actually think that they need? It's a good point. I feel like maybe I spoon feed sometimes too much, but I really do, very similar to Nicole, try to provide resources in different ways. One of that is providing a full day orientation. Now, this has been predominantly virtual and I'm going to mention the word COVID. We all know it's coming over the last two years, but I've I tried to provide the opportunity for people to learn the basics of pediatrics, the basics of nursing within that setting, medications, fluids, what the scope of practice expectations are at the children's, how we can work with people so that communication, particularly developmental communication, and things around assessment and the safety of our organisation. Very similar to Nicole, I also provide all the lecture notes. I want this to be an opportunity for people to sit, learn and participate, whether or not that's in person or whether or not it's virtual. I also try to get some skills, hands-on skills done in the first week. So that used to be on the main orientation day. Now it's completed generally in the first week. I do think it's really important that we provide basic pediatric knowledge. Not all universities cover this in the bachelor's or the master's program. We're also seeing very limited theory to clinical practice exposure because placements have been so heavily affected over the last two years. I think it's really important to also provide some pre-clinical learning, a little bit about what to expect, patient conditions, very similar to Nicole, the layout and the expectation of the ward. And it gives them that chance to kind of get a little bit of information generally over that first week um, prior to starting and during the first week to being on the floor here at RCH. Yeah. Have you ever had a student that turned up that you weren't expecting to come? Sure have. I've actually had two. Um, unfortunately, RCH and RMH look very similar on paper. So I did. And they're really, they're close they together close. in proximity as well. <laughs> so we did have two students turn up um, by accident and our amazing security team gave me a call because they looked lost. And I came down, actually ended up calling the clinical educator from the Royal Melbourne and we got them down the road safely. But I think they were definitely very stressed. But again, it really does show that importance of a welcome email or some pre-information prior to starting on placement and making it as clear as we possibly can. Sometimes people still get confused. Even in some cases, how to actually get to the hospital itself. Agreed. A map is really useful. (laughs) Absolutely. Now, I'm going to make reference to one medical imaging clinical educator, and his name's Greg, and he's a great mate of mine, and he's a mentor of mine as well. That He works up in Queensland, and he talks about his role including the use of different educator hats, so very similar to Edward de Bono's six thinking hats that he has. and. When you're in this role, you don't just wear one hat, you wear multiple hats. Yeah. So you might wear a manager hat or you might wear an educator hat. You might even just wear a, like a, a human being hat, which is where you, you know, you're having to talk to the, your students and that. And so this is a really important one. So you want the student to know that you're a real person and that you've had experiences of your own, but that you're also recognizing them not just as a student. And for me, I've really taken this on quite recently um, and I have regular lunches with my students now. And we often talk about in those lunches, we, we don't talk about what's happening at work. We actually just talk about their life in general and, and how their life's going, basically. This is definitely not the time that you give them feedback or you talk about clinical cases or anything like that. Yeah, I agree, Steve. I think it's just so important. And there's one thing that I've started to focus on in our student orientation as well, that the students are human, the patients are human, the educators, the clinicians, the supervisors, we're all human. And sometimes being a human is really hard and it's really overwhelming. 
particularly during COVID, um, but also when we're working with children that are unwell and their families who are going through, you know, some of the toughest times for themselves. Um, and I think it's okay for us to be human. It's why we're interested in health. It's why we got into it. Um, and I think we need to acknowledge that that's a really important part of being on placement with us. I think working at RCH, we have such good team supports and we should expose students to the culture of teamwork and how to look after one another and really build that resilience within the team. And, you know, it's okay to not be okay sometimes. Yeah, and, and I think with with people being nice to one another and, yeah. and treating each other as a team member, yeah. it actually helps with the patient care overall anyway. And, that, and the patients do see that happening too. Yeah, It is role modelling of who we are as people, right? We're yeah. role modelling that it's okay to be human. And yes. I love that, Nicole. And very similar to both of your teams and your cohorts of students, I really do try to get students to reach out to me and provide them with a phone number and a way to get in contact, particularly after hours yes. can be really challenging for some students. I rarely get contacted, but knowing it's there provides me with a level of assurance that if they really do need to reach out, they will. And I try to be open with them as well. So I love hearing about what other people are doing in their teams too. Yeah, me too. I, I do because I steal ideas off everyone else anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then while they're actually out on placement as well, I want to talk a little bit about the, the importance of developing a structure. I think that's a really interesting thing for a student to realize is that you have to have a bit of a structure in the way that you go about your work. Because if you don't, then you're kind of going to be taking in too much stuff. You're going to be left behind. You're, not, you're going to feel a little bit lost, I think, with what's going on. It also just helps to increase the efficiency and it also reduces the, the chances of making mistakes too. It really does. I find from a nursing point of view, every day may look a little bit different. And my background of being an emergency nurse, it's part of why I loved being an emergency nurse. But also I still had some basics that I did every single shift, checking the safety equipment, making sure the parents knew who I was, checking my electronic medical records. Um, I know there may be people listening in today who don't use EMR. But it can be super busy, particularly if you're not experienced by looking at all of the information about your patient. So I really try to encourage students to either use a planner or what we call the hub, which is a component of a planning via the electronic medical records. I do believe it's really important to spend one or two days observing what the day-to-day -day structure looks like, including integrating things like ward rounds. Maybe it's how the medications, um, how we do meds in this hospital, all of these things that allow the student to get a bit of a baseline. Again, it's about safety. For me, I think it's really integral in the first week to do as much of that as possible, even if it feels repetitive and every area is going to do it a little bit different. So we encourage the students to really be open with their preceptors or supervisors on the floor. Um, this allows them to actually take in um, and role model again from that behavior so they don't miss things. Yeah, absolutely. And what about outside of work? So for those students on clinical placement, especially for the first time, they may not have ever been exposed to any full-time work before and it can be actually quite exhausting for them. I've had a lot of them just say, you know, I, I just slept all weekend because yeah. I was just so exhausted. What are some of the suggestions you can give them for when they're not at work that will help them to not get too run down? Absolutely. I think we recognize this as clinicians. Our own well-being is an integral component of who we are in the healthcare industry. I always say, if I'm not caring for myself, I can't care for other people yeah. and my cup is probably full. So I really encourage students to think about three questions. This is something I do as a little icebreaker activity and orientation. The first one is, what are my protective factors for managing my stress? Do I go for a walk with the dog? Do I go for a swim? Am I going to watch some TV um, on the couch or have a big sleep all weekend? What do I need to do 
when things start get, getting stressful. Then I think about my protective people. Now, we do have a huge cohort of international students who complete all of our disciplines. So I really encourage them to speak in with a friend who may be on placement with them. Maybe it's mum, dad, sister, boyfriend, girlfriend, whoever that may be. Letting them know you're on placement is 90% of the battle. <laughs> Give someone else your roster, let them know you may call them at some point and you may need to have a chat. So setting it up. The third one is, what do I do when I'm stressed and overwhelmed? Am I that person that just stops responding to text messages? I don't, I can't process that information, so I need to sleep more. What's kind of giving me the warning signs that maybe I'm not coping as well as I usually do? Yep. Then I get them to think about this. I get them to write it down with a pen and paper, guys, old-fashioned style. I get them to think about this because full-time work for me is a balance, particularly working, shift work in my previous life. I really found if I didn't have these things in my mind, I would get in those bad old habits again. Also, meal prep, always the meal prep. If there's no food in the fridge, what am I going to do? I'm going to go for that packet of Tim Tams. I'm probably not going to focus on my diet and my fluid intake as much as I usually do. And then I get them to think about what do I do when I'm overwhelmed? Have I gone back to step number one, two, and three? And then I kind of make a number step number four. And that's when I talk about things like EAP. What do I do if I need to talk to someone? Oh, Danny gave me her number. Maybe I should send her a text and see if we can catch up for that coffee, if we can have a quick chat, or just so I can say, I need help, but I'm not sure what to do next. So it's a little bit of that clinical supervision, escalate early. But I find that a lot of students do really go back to it. And I've gotten some great feedback over the last couple of years too. Yeah. And I feel like you, Jenny, I like to get to know the students and what responsibilities (laughs) they have outside of placement, because you never know what students have going on outside, um, just like colleagues as well. Um, So I like to ask them about their individual circumstances to try and understand what pressures might they have, like they're working part time because they need the money while they're on placement Um, or they're caring for a family member who's unwell. And that's quite stressful when you're in the hospital setting as well. And in allied health, we will often block off non-clinical time. And it might be when the students are doing tutorials or um, the supervisor might be in a staff meeting or a PD that's not appropriate for the student. And that gives the student a little bit of um, time while they're on placement to do some of those self-directed learning or problem lists. And it means that's one less task that they have to do at home when they may have competing priorities or stresses. Yeah. And we we have student-free Wednesday mornings Ah. in our department just purely for that purpose. So students can also be very focused on making a good impression as well. Like they can do everything and don't want to make any mistakes. Why is it so important that they do make mistakes or at least look like they're about to make a mistake? Yeah, because I think as clinicians, there are always things that we think we could change or that we'd actually do differently next time. We're always reflecting to learn and to, to do better for our patients the next time. And I think it's really important for us to demonstrate to students. I'll often say to a student after the session, okay, well, that wasn't the plan we had when we walked in to see that patient. Um, And this is, you know, the changes I had to make on the spot. I think that's really good to model. Um, We actually recently had a student attend one of our annual multidisciplinary team reviews, and we were discussing some clinical cases in terms of um, what went well, but also what changes we might think about making next time that situation came up. And the student actually fed back to me that they really um, were interested to attend and hear the team talk quite openly Um, and sort of question each other, but in a very supportive way um, so that we all felt comfortable to learn. And the student really took a lot from that. So it's important that we share. 
it's almost role modeling that we have these meetings for a reason, right? Yeah. So very similar to um, what you've just said, Nicole, I think it's giving them the opportunity for us to provide them feedback. So going in that room, completing that assessment, completing that conversation with the patients or families by letting them step forward, even if they are about to make a mistake, I mean, maybe they're to support them with that. They're being aware that we are there and particularly for those tasks that we classify as other direct. So what I mean by direct supervision is I always have to be there. This is something that falls under my nursing registration, not the student's registration. So I always say scope of practice, scope of practice, scope of practice, but we do need to be aware of it. So sometimes I'll say to them, tell me what you're about to do. Okay, Nicole, I'm just going to go in that room. I'm going to intro myself to mom and dad and the patient. I'm going to do that assessment. I'm then going to need you to watch me program the IV pump. It's almost like they're telling me what the direct and indirect supervision is. And then it gives them that chance to kind of, if they have a little moment, have that break, maybe look at me and kind of let me jump in. So I kind of almost give them permission to go further because I'm going to be there to support them. Now, this can be really hard because feedback is the big part of this, right? We want them to feel they can ask for it. And we hope our supervisors, educators, everyone involved with student management feels supported to do that. So I do agree. We kind of need them to also come along and do that kind of debrief and clinical supervision model that we do as staff, other participate in the ones on the unit, but also give them a chance to do one as a group of students in that safe and supported way. So I do really encourage them to at least to attend one debrief communication a week. And that is in a group setting and also say, hey, these are the drop-in sessions as well if you just want to talk one-on-one as well. Yeah, and I I think that also the transition from direct supervision to indirect supervision is definitely a two-way street. You can be confident that a student is going to be able to to perform a task indirectly supervised, but the student also needs to have the confidence that they can do it on their own as well. And then the same goes the other way around. A student may feel confident to do something, but if the supervisor is not confident in that student, then that needs to be something that's actually part of the uh, agreed year. It's almost like permission in a way, and I don't know if that's the right word. Sometimes I've got to watch you do it first and make myself feel confident as a clinician that I can then let go a little bit. And you're right, particularly in the first week, that can be super challenging, even for students who are very competent, particularly in their last or second last placements. And we find this in nursing, those who have previous experience as an enrolled nurse can be a real challenging conversation for that first week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and as a clinical educator, one of the more frustrating aspects of my work is when you enlist the help of other supervisors, but they're not necessarily in the mood, I guess, to teach or to supervise at the time. How do you as an, as an educator tackle this? Yeah, I think I like to make it really clear to the student and the supervisor, what are the actual expectations of Definitely. the student in this session or what, what the task might be? For example, you know, I think some supervisors and clinicians are saying, oh, the student's going to come and observe. But specifically, what is the student observing? Can It might be how the supervisor is communicating with the bedside nurse as they're doing a transfer together. How do they work as a team? Or is it the student helping with some distraction techniques by the supervisor might be talking to the parent and then the student is getting an opportunity to practice that rapport building um, with a child that they may have not done before. So I think it's really important that those expectations are clear and communicated. Agreed. And I think we're more likely in this situation when we have someone who doesn't want to work with a student, there may be a reason for that. And sometimes pulling them aside and having that like almost like pre-game conversation. Hey, I noticed that you weren't interested in having that student with you. 
and I ask why. You know, it's hard when you don't have a rapport with someone with that conversation, but I always encourage people to come forward when they don't feel they can support a student too. Yeah. So there is a fine line that, we, again, protecting our own well-being. We don't know what's going on in that person's life. But I really do try to do a little bit of a support the actual preceptor or supervisor, kind of flip it on its head a little bit. For those people who are a little bit, I don't want to actually work with students, I say, why don't you be a support for the other supervisors? They can link in with you. Maybe you can be the second nurse in the room. And it does sometimes give people a little bit of an empowerment situation. They may feel really anxious about supervising students for various reasons. And it allows them to still provide support that is definitely needed with those challenging conversations. It also provides that person who is actually the one directly supervising the student the chance to also get some feedback. And it gives a bit of sense of ownership. So almost like train the trainer on the floor. I do also try to kill people with kindness and I hope that that actually helps. <laughs> so, hey, thank you so much for preceptoring or supervising that student. Here's a chocolate. Yeah, I really appreciate and value your input. And sometimes you just need to give people the thank you that they deserve because working with students can be challenging. So I really do try to get people to come forward and opt in. I recognize with staffing and furloughing and all the biz that we're dealing with right now, that's actually not possible. I also encourage the student to try to take the lead a little bit. I love what you were talking about before, almost like empowerment. So what do I do when we have those rainy day activities, student free time, whatever you want to call it. So I kind of encourage the students, hey, set up the room for the next patient. Give that room a tidy, check the oxygen and suction and go back and let Steve or Nicole or Danny know. You can see that initiative and it gives a little bit, five minutes, two minutes, one minute of student free time during the day, which I think is also important. Yeah, absolutely. And what about the advantages of having the same supervisor throughout the placement compared to changing up the supervision role? Because I know that there is a difference in the way that some disciplines do it. Yeah, and I think this is always a challenge, particularly um, in physio, we can have quite short placements. So you want to have consistency of the supervisor. So you, if you're doing marking and assessment, um, but the nature of working in an acute setting, sometimes we do need to change the supervisor to make sure the student has got exposure to patients and they have an opportunity to lead sessions and run them. I actually think that a student seeing a range of supervisors in action um, can actually help the student build themselves into the clinician they want to be. So they might be doing a session with Danny and they love the way that you do the subjective assessment with the patient and how you collected all that information, but they might like doing the objective assessment like Steve does it. And I think the student having the opportunity to see clinicians working and pick and choose what actually works best for the student because there's no right or wrong way to do these things. Um, so it gives the student a bit of um, empowerment to decide what, how they would like to be when they're a clinician. Very similar to you, Nicole. This really does depend on the area of our hospital. We have students in mental health. We have students in our subacute or ambulatory areas like hospital in the home, for instance. They're one-on-one -on -one in the car with another supervisor. Um, when they're on the floor, this may change, particularly with shift work. So we do really try to reallocate a little bit from a rostering perspective where we'll look at two or three key people. And then I also encourage them to basically get daily feedback. So if I wasn't getting that consistent preceptorship or clinical supervision on the unit from the same or one or two nurses, I could then go back to the written feedback and kind of help them fill the gaps a little bit when it comes to what's next for them, what are their goals and objectives. I know from the anecdotal experience though, students want one to two people. They get the most out of their placement when someone knows them. 
They yeah. have confidence in yeah. them. They've seen them do that task before or have that conversation. So when it comes to very similar continuity and assessments, we know how important that is as clinicians yeah. to have that relationship with our patients and families. I do also see the value of working more, with more than one person as well. I love the way people do things differently. I'm yeah. a big fan of you've taken that interpretation. I've got that interpretation. And again, what works best for me and the way my brain thinks, the way my hands work, we do learn a lot and role model a lot by working with different people. So what I would say is having one key person overseeing a group of students is that actual, that is the best option. But we do also know sometimes that falls to the actual educator or say your actual tutor of the program. Yeah. So if I don't have a consistent nurse working with someone, I will try to step in and be that conduit of information almost. Yeah, I, I always I always think of a student as being someone who takes the best out of all of the supervisors yes, that they yes. have yep. and then molding it into themselves to be the best that they can possibly be. Yes, agree. I yeah. love yeah. this. Yeah, it's almost like what do I not want to do as when I get there? And yes. I'm, I always joke and be the grown up nurse or the grown up doctor, the grown up physio. Um, what would I hope I wouldn't do again? You know, maybe if they've had a not a great experience also, you know, yeah. take it away and use that to empower you to be the next teacher of the future as well. Absolutely. Now, students come into the hospital to learn about their job and specific aspects of their job that they couldn't necessarily learn at university. So, for example, in medical imaging, they need to learn how to use our computer systems, like our, our radiology information system, our PACs. But it's so much more important than that because they also need to learn about the roles of others in the hospital as well. And I'm talking about learning from other disciplines. So we as radiographers might want to learn about physios or we might want to learn more about nurses and that. How do we do that? Placement is the link. Um, I really see placement is the link between theory and the clinical learning experience. We see this when nursing used to be a predominantly hospital training environment. And I want to say 1989, a little fun fact there, that's when we <laughs> introduced the Bachelor of Nursing program in Victoria. So actually not that long ago. So we've seen this big transition. We started student placements here, I want to say in 1893, if anyone wants to guess on me. Um, and we had this train the trainer model in our hospital. We then realized that the theory, the research, the science of nursing was super integral that we followed that from a university pathway. We could accreditate ourselves compared to other hospitals and other industries. But the placement allows the student to get in there, hands on, learning how to be a nurse in a safe and supported way. Without it, we, we really have seen the effects of that when it comes to COVID as well. So for me, giving them the most exposure they can possibly get, um, but also recognizing that it is still tough. The transition is still tough. Yeah. Yeah. And in the allied health clinical education team, we definitely run multidisciplinary tutorials so that the students can have that exposure to different disciplines and some disciplines they may have never heard of before and what they do in their roles and the students feedback that they really do enjoy those sessions and working as a team. I know personally in my role, I work really closely with the multidisciplinary team. Um, and I do like to get students to experience what that's like working as a team, because we all know that when we are working together, we get better outcomes for our patients. Students also do get to work with different patients and families through that multidisciplinary team, and they get a greater understanding of the impact of healthcare, both socially, not just the theoretical basis of it. It's almost like the day-to-day, -day, right? So I know how important it is. I can't do my job without you guys. So it's also that understanding and the respect that we provide to each other as a team. And for me, particularly my life in ED, I was so fortunate to get to 
touch so many different multidisciplinary people. And it really helped me understand how I could then, for instance, refer to them earlier. Actually, this is a great opportunity for the child life therapist to come and support me with this procedure. I'm going to also learn from them. And for me, I really find that empowering for student nurses to go, actually, I think I I could call this person or do that referral. So it also teaches them the resilience of nursing, that this is part of their role as well. Yeah, I really like the concept of the multidisciplinary tutorials as well, particularly with the allied health ones. And it would actually be great to get a good sense of what nursing and medical people do in the role for specific cases as well. Now, just speaking of tutorials, what do you do for education in the form of tutorials or journal clubs or whatever? There's a lot of difference in what's done from discipline to discipline, but I love to get ideas from other others and what works for them. This is great. I love this as well. I really try to get the students to go along to whatever education is also running on their their own unit. And I like to look at their calendar generally a week in advance. So I try not to cross over things like the debrief sessions or the student free time with that. I love a bit of teach me. Now, as an educator in nursing, I don't always get to sit back and enjoy a session. So I love to do a bit of getting the students to actually PowerPoint, hands-on skill, whatever it may be, and do a bit of teach the teacher or otherwise known as teach Danny. (laughs) (laughs) I also really try to get them to do those types of sessions that might be relevant to a patient cohort. For instance, if they are doing anaphylaxis education, here's an EpiPen. I want you to teach me how to use an EpiPen. So then when we have that opportunity for them to do family education, they definitely feel like they've done it before. There's a little less nerves. They know what to do. They know what to follow. So parent teaching education as well. Case studies are heaps of fun. I feel we get a lot of information and some sneaky pathophys or sneaky extra knowledge in there. I do love a journal club. I know everyone sometimes yawns at me, but I love learning about what the most recent research is, particularly considering that our students are at the forefront of that. And then also try to integrate some skill sessions. Generally, it's always the fun stuff. Basic life support, nasogastric tube insertion or management, bloods or venipuncture management. I honestly could run a session every day and they'd still want more. Yeah, and Danny, it sounds like we do really (laughs) similar similar. things. Yeah, in physio, we've got our regular tutorials that we do. They're welcome to come to our staff PD as as appropriate. Um, But we also try and do those skill sessions or, you know, mock sim sessions. If, you know, if you're giving this feedback to the parent, practice on me first. Right. What, what would you tell the parent before we're actually face-to-face with the parent in the room? So trying to do those mock sessions as well too is really important. Yeah, that's a great idea. So obviously clinical placement has a really good value to it. So let's try, say, for example, you want to come to the children's hospital because, and I'm going to quote people here that I've heard, I love children. I want to work at the children's yeah. hospital because yeah. I love children. <laughs> I know my boss hates it when people say that in an interview, that's for sure. Uh, but then when you come here, you actually realize that it's just not for you. The children just aren't for you. Yeah. So what do you do? Well, placement's still an experience, right? We're going to be allocated to clinical placement throughout our studies that we might not love or this might not be our passion area. What are you going to take away from this? So sometimes having that conversation early, again, it can be a little bit cringe when someone's like, I'm passionate about working with kids. I want more. I want to know why. Yeah. <laughs> so nursing, very similar to your other disciplines, I kind of also want to know why you don't want to be here as well as what you do want to do. So what do you need to learn from this placement is those requirements, for instance, assessments, certain skills. And then I really encourage them to look at what is transferable. So things like communication to patients, I'll say kids as well, obviously, as well as families, you are going to need to communicate with patients and families of all different backgrounds, cultures, and I guess different areas of health literacy in your time as a, as a nurse or in another discipline. 
how I then hand over to the nursing medical allied health team is also an essential skill. So documentation, we're never going to get away from documenting. Let's be smarter, not harder. How to take OBS. Yes, the numbers may change, but the people don't really change that much. Not everyone enjoys getting their OBS done. And things around clinical deterioration and who to escalate to, that is transferable. I also encourage both the students and again, the staff, always be respectful to one another because this is my absolute passion. (laughs) I actually do really love working with families. It is an honor and a privilege. I'm so lucky every day to do this. I also love working with students and I love empowering them for their future, whether or not it's here with us at the children's or wherever they go. So it's not just observational. I'm sorry. I don't want to work with kids is not a good answer. What am I going to get out of it instead? Do the mindset change. Yeah, Yeah. I completely agree with you, Jenny. It's those transferable skills that, you know, and I'll give the example of, um, you know, we might have physio students that come come here because it's one of their core placements, but they really just want to work in sports or private practice and thinking about, well, what can you get out of this placement? We have children coming through our EG with sporting injuries you know, looking at x-rays, those handover communication, because I agree loving children and wanting to work with children are actually two very different things. And RCH may not be the best place for you, but what can you take out of this time? And look, we're going to run a series of podcast episodes as well on feedback in the future, because feedback, we all agree, is a very, very big topic. So I'll just going to briefly touch on this for now. How do you get information on all of your students? Both of you obviously oversee a lot of students while they're here. How do you get information about each of those students that you can then feed back to them in a, in a formal session? In a way, it is a bit of spoon feeding. I actually provide them with a feedback template document. Now I have been playing around with different apps and things, gone back to pen and paper for a while. So it is a daily tick box with a small area for both the student and the preceptor to comment. In a way, it becomes their power tool. Steve, could we please do the feedback log today? Can we make a time for it? then later kind of slowly bringing the book to Steve may actually help them have that conversation. So it's both ways, both responsible, um, and it allows us to collate that data and get some written examples for their appraisals and stuff. Yeah, and I think the physio students are a little bit scared of me because I'm often finding them in the corridors and they're walking past and I'm launching at them saying, how are you? How are things going? (laughs) Um, You know, always checking in. Um, We've got the bonus of using secure chat here, so I'm always in, you know, yeah, constant contact with the students to let them know that I'm here But also, as we were saying earlier, chatting to the actual supervisor and just checking in, like, how are things going? Is there anything we need to be concerned about? I think there's that regular communication and feedback. You know, don't wait until final formal feedback to realise there's an issue. We need to be doing that from the start. Escalating early. And and you're right, almost empowering the supervisors to also escalate early. Yeah. um, And knowing who to escalate to, it's kind of just as important as the feedback itself. Yeah. And I will reiterate at this point that, from a feedback perspective is that the onus should really be on the student yes. in order to yes. get the feedback that they actually want. Yeah. So it's such a huge topic and that's why we're actually going to dedicate a lot more time on it in future podcasts. So look, thanks guys for taking the time to speak with us. It's been a great conversation and hopefully one that the students will get a lot out of, but also other clinical educators and supervisors who actually have students with them too. Just one final thing in the, in the podcast that we did with the students, They gave a few tips on clinical supervisors um, that we could use that could be helpful for them. So their main tips were, one was to get contact info to someone to greet them so they don't turn up at the wrong hospital. Right. (laughs) Um, The time for starting, make sure you give them a good time to start. Where they can meet, so a map they think is extremely important. Right. And also the shift time so they can plan any out-of-work activities that they have. Is there anything else that you want to add to that? 
I actually love this list. And I, yeah. I actually, when I heard the podcast back, I was like, yes, these mm. are the things I know a lot of our teams do here at the kids. I also use an area like the creature on ground floor. We have this beautiful ground floor. If anyone's not been to the children's hospital or the fish tank, because they're both really easy to find places. And generally a cohort of students, they may look lost. The pre-placement email, where to meet me, keeping it sharp and short and really trying to be as kind as I can with hours, but sometimes we need to start at seven. So please today just get here that little bit early so we can check you in and make sure you're okay. Um, I also give them a bit of a how-to guide on the wards um, because we know they want to know what to expect, particularly when we're calling wards koala, kookaburra, wallaby, and they don't know what that means. So kind of helping them with the lingo. And I also send the same stuff out to the team. Hey, we're expecting students next Monday. These are the people who are coming. At least they kind of know who's coming as well and know roughly when things are due. So sending them a bit of a heads up appraisals the next week. Yeah. And that sounds quite similar to yeah. what we will send out before the place the students start on the placement. So it's good to see that that's the information they actually want. Sometimes I find Yay. you don't get um, any communication back from the student no. once you send the email. So you're kind of hoping for the best. Um, so it's good to see that that's the information they actually want. Agreed. This really does kind of at least say to us as a team, we're doing the right thing, but let's keep it up. And, you know, obviously for their learning as well, it's really important to feel that welcome to the organisation. Absolutely. That's wonderful. Thanks very much for your contribution, guys. Thanks for having us, Steve. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to Teach, Think, Treat, part of the Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast series. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts, check out our other podcast show, Conversation with the Experts, where professionals from the Melbourne Children's Campus provide advice and insights, tips and tricks, and discuss latest research findings on a range of topics. 